0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Vlog.
1: What's good, everybody? Happy Friday. I don't know about y'all, but it's so warm right now. It's so humid that I'm sitting here in my throwback Bill Russell jersey, a pair of, like, um, I don't know, like, track pants, and I am literally melting I'm joined by my boy Mr. Will Weir. We're going to try and get through this with before I actually turn into um Olaf before Elsa saved him in that <laughs> final, if you know if you got kids you'll know that reference. Yo, Will what's going jokes, on, one, bro?
0: Dad jokes 101 from my guy Adam out here. Feels like he we may- switch climates, man. I'm
1: in Austin. Bro, I think you're you're sweating more than I am. Bro, it may be hot, it may be cold, but either way it's too humid for me, man. Yo, humidity is the worst, man. That's the that's the thing that people
0: don't get cuz like so as an example, you know I grew up in Dorchester, grew up in Boston. Like the summers there are, you know, it's humid. It gets really humid. Whereas in Austin, you know, people are like, man, how do you deal with, you know, 95 degrees, 100 degrees? It's not Arizona levels of dry, but it's usually dry. We've had unseasonably a, a crazy amount of rain out here this summer. So we are getting that humidity, which is just brutal. But that's what I tell people, man. It's the humidity, not necessarily the heat. It's the humidity that makes it feel like, you wake up in the morning, you take a shower, you take one step out your front door,
1: you might as well turn around and restart your day because you need another shower before you do anything. Bro, like, um, I tell everybody I speak to from, like, the Boston area, like, your the, the Boston weather pattern and British weather pattern, especially like, are so similar. And, like, if, yeah. if y'all get snow, we get, like, real heavy rain or snow, like, a few days later. You just seem to be a few days ahead, you know? <laughs> and, like, uh, so I know what's coming because I'm speaking to everybody out in Boston regularly. And um, it just makes me like, like I wanna, I want just move into Boston, man. I can live in that that climate. It's a little bit warmer in the summer mm-hmm. and a little bit colder in the winter. I, I can deal with those extremes. I'm used to it. Um, but at the moment, man, I'm just like, dude, it's just too humid, man. I feel like I, if I ran around with a plastic bag, like a sandwich bag. And I just ran around with it in the air. You'd see the condensation collecting. Money. <laughs> well, as thoroughly disgusting as that is, I think uh, I think if you could live in
0: London, you could live in Boston, Adam. Yeah, no, I couldn't live in London if you paid me, dude. Or excuse
1: me, in England, my bad. That's, yeah, see, no. that's my American bias. If you're if you're in England, you just must be in London. Yeah, dude, you couldn't pay me enough money to live in London. Like, um, seriously, even if you offered me like a multi million pound duplex, you <laughs> like. You know, with like a moat and 17 acres of land, yeah. some proper old school thing, man, where like some king used some to be. Some real live. medieval type Yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, with an alligator in the moat for protection. Like, it's not enough, dude. Like, I'm not, I'd never live in London, no matter what. Just, I feel um, you, man.
0: I, I feel that same me. way. I feel exactly. I feel that same way about New York. Like, I would, I've been in New York several times, you know, grew up in the Northeast. Like, I just, it, it, you would have to give me some type of opportunity in which I absolutely have to be in New York that I could never pass up in a million years to get me to go live there. And I feel like London is the clean version of New York. So, you know what I mean? Like there's definitely not a chance I'm trying to go to a place that I think is just absolutely filthy. I know, I know everything everybody says about New York. I, it's just not for me, man. So I understand your. uh, Resistancy to, to yeah, unless
1: it's like a full time basketball gig, and I can like um you know traveling once a month or once a week to be in the office, mm-hmm. then okay because I don't have to live there you know. But like um actually like the crime rate's ridiculous, the uh the cost of living's ridiculous, the quality of life is low unless you like one of the top like fifteen percent. Yeah, so um that's not for me, dude, man. I live in the suburbs. I can drive to the, I can drive to farmland in nine minutes. I can drive to a city in ten. <laughs> Like I'm in the middle of everywhere. I'm not giving that up unless it's to leave the country. Which is what I we, we diverge past there. I am a city boy. I just but
0: I gotta be I gotta be responsible with my funds. So down here in the south where I live, being in Austin, Texas, I can be in the city, but I can have a cost of living that's like maybe a quarter
1: of the price of living in New York City. No, Yo, it's the same for me, bro. I'm I'm literally I'm the sec I'm in the second biggest city in the UK. Um, you know, yeah. so but the cost of living's like fifty percent cheaper. Now people listening are like, yo, I don't remember tuning into a real estate podcast. I'm like, uh yeah, you didn't. I, I get that. So um I apologize. But you know, now you understand that hey, Adam is literally melting right now. It's it's the off season, we're versatile, we're gonna give you
0: that's I think that's the beauty of our podcast, Adam. We're not just here to give you basketball facts, we're here to give you world facts, we're here to give you knowledge. We're you know, we're expanding the growth of what we can offer our
1: audience. I'm pretty confident in saying this is the most cultured Celtics podcast. Just because hell yeah, it is. Yeah, because there's so much, there's so many different cultures being thrown in here from <laughs> just from the jump, dude. Just from the accent, you're You are now tuned in to the most cultured Celtics podcast worldwide. Let's That's go, That's a baby. bold, bold claim. So anyway, what we're gonna do <laughs> now we've got through the randomness. There's been a few trade rumors they're getting thrown around out there. Um, me personally, I don't think the sources that I've seen throw them around, I would class as credible or highly credible. I've seen some where I'm like, yeah, I, I could see that happening and this guy sometimes gets it right or whatever. Um, but there's a few out there that seem to have stuck, right? Jamal Murray, no, not Jamal Murray, sorry. Javante Murray being the number I'd be one a lot name. more interested in Jamal Murray, I'll tell yeah, you that much. That, that was, it was, it was, it was I wish, right? Dude? But <laughs> Javante <laughs> Murray being the, the number one name that's been thrown around recently as a possible trade target for the Celtics. I have nothing but negative thoughts on this matter. <laughs> Hopefully you're going to give me some positive thoughts on this matter. So, first of all, what would you see Murray, Dejonte Murray, not Jamal Murray, bring into the Celtics if they were to go and make a trade for him?
0: Yeah, so let's we'll start
1: positive and I and I think ultimately we'll take a, a
0: holistic approach to this. But on the positive with Dejonte Murray, what he would bring to the Celtics and now I think we need to get into what's going out if he's coming in, because I think that plays a massive role in in what he looks like on this team. But let's just say, theoretically, DeJounte Murray on this team, the length that he brings from the guard position on the defensive front is something that highly intrigues me. I don't know about you, Adam, but one of the staples in my mind this year of of games that were somewhat disappointing for the Celtics was that game in San Antonio. A game where they had a complete collapse towards the end of the second quarter. That was about a five-minute stretch that really changed the entire face of that game. But at the end of it, it was Kemba Walker isolated at the top of the key with Dejounte Murray, and Dejounte just straight up clean cut, picked his pocket, game-winning layup, game over. Spurs take home the win. And if you go look up Dejounte Murray on YouTube, he does that over and over and over again to players all around the league. So. His defensive prowess and the length that he would give you across that permit if you're thinking about him being paired with Rob Williams, the Jays, the versatility, the switching, I think defensively there is a a very high intrigue factor of what that could look like. And I'm going to stop there because I think after that it starts to get a little bit murky. But I think for me that's the highest level of intrigue is that his defensive ability with what we already have on the team, as well as him being on a, on a pretty friendly contract right now that's going to be in that about 15 to 17 million range. So it's extremely palatable and can be moved if needed. We've talked a lot about roster flexibility being of high importance. He's 24 years old, locked up for about the next four years, 15 to 18 million. That's a contract that you can move and can have value in different realms. So I think those are kind of the positives that I look to when I think of DeJounte Murray on the Celtics. Do you have any positives that you, that you want to highlight? Or are we just starting to go the other side here?
1: No, I can give you a positive. Like, I, I agree with you. I think he's um, a fantastic defensive piece. Um, his length adds um, more point of attack, st- like, more, a more stern point of attack defense, especially if you need, if you are playing a switch scheme and you need um Murray gets switched on to somebody that's a bit bigger than him, his wingspan will be able to cut off driving lanes, he'll be able to play ice defense quite well because he can cover the court just with the with his um defensive stance. But my biggest concerns, and like that's my mainly positive, you know, he's gonna give you some rebounding, he's gonna help control the glass a little bit more. He, um, he's the type of player, as you said, that will um initiate transition opportunities for the team, whether that's from steals, whether that's from um, forcing turnovers in the passing lanes or whether that's from rebounding, he will help you play at a bit of a faster pace just because he's out. He will be an outlet on transition or a transition initiator. But then everything else is just, I don't see the fit anywhere. <laughs> like, so my first port, the first thing that goes from my mind is Murray doesn't give you any three point shooting, right? So according to Cleaning the Glass, which is like my Bible when I want to look at players and stuff before I start doing the film. He's um, this season. His offense nine only nineteen percent of his offense came from free. So that was a total of one hundred and ninety three field goal attempts came from free. So he shot one hundred and ninety three frees. He only converted thirty two percent of those. Like I'm just like okay, so I get it. Marcus Smart makes an impact by shooting roughly thirty four percent from free. Yeah. But he does so because he shoots enough to make defenses not sag off. Regardless of if he's converting, he's shooting enough that you can't afford to sag or go under a screen when Smart's running a pick-and-roll play because he could fire that shot. And then you have somebody like Robert Williams that can mop up or Tristan. Murray isn't giving you that. Players will go under and disrespect that three-point shot from um, Javante Murray. And that's a problem considering his best scoring area is mid-range, which is fine. He's a coach pup guy. That's the way the system runs. That's yeah. the way he's been coached since he came into the league. But coming into a team like Boston, where everything's about spacing, you're trying to build um, viable spacing around Jalen and Jason. Those mid-range opportunities come by you attacking closeouts. Now, nobody's closing out on you. Where are your mid-range opportunities going to come from in this scene with this team? So um, offensively, I think, you know, I've seen people say, let's put him next to Marcus Smart. Well, where's your spacing coming from? Where's your creation coming from? There's a lot that I think that um, Murray and Smart together would actually be a big negative. You're going to get amazing perimeter defense, but you're going to get a really poor offense. And that's where my biggest concerns come from.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just hit hit the nail on the head right there. Like, I I actually don't think it makes sense to pair DeJounte Murray with Marcus Smart. DeJounte Murray, to me, him coming in signifies this is another move, whether it's not necessarily directly for him, but if there's another move in which Marcus Smart is going out somewhere. Because pairing them together is part of the same issue I have with pairing Lonzo Ball and, and Marcus Smart together, except with at least Lonzo Ball, you're getting one of the best creators and facilitators in the game who has an IQ, a passing IQ that, that's top of the league. DeJounte Murray does not have that. So when you start to pair DeJounte Murray with Marcus Smart, if you think about what that offensive dynamic looks like, and you said most of his offense is going to come from the mid-range, so that defense collapses in and has the ability to focus on the Jays. Maybe you have Rob Williams as a vertical threat. What is that defense going to be willing to give up? They're going to be willing to give up Marcus Smart and DeJounte Murray going back and forth, trying to either get their own shot or let them shoot from three. And as much as Marcus Smart has made, you know, market improvement in his three-point ability— Most teams in the league are going to live night in and night out with DeJounte Murray and Marcus Smart shooting threes and trying to take away lobs for Rob Williams, trying to take away driving lanes and making it harder on the Jays. So I think DeJounte Murray, especially when combined with Marcus Smart, is Far more of a detriment offensively, despite the positives it would bring on the defensive end, and so I just don't necessarily see the fit for Dejounte Murray unless you're moving smart and there's a secondary move that goes along with it for this roster. Because together, I just don't, I, I don't see it making sense. And it was part of, like I said, my reservations with Lonzo Ball. And you're not getting at least the additional ceiling that a potential Lonzo Ball move gives you. All of the the cap issues aside.
1: Yeah, and I completely agree. I think this is a move you, you, you make. If you know Marcus Smart's not going to re sign in Boston, if you think he, if he's told you like, Hey, I want X amount and you know, you can't pay him or you don't think he's worth that value, then bringing in Murray makes sense because you're getting a guy with um, a similar defensive ceiling as Marcus Smart, but you, he doesn't have the same, like, I don't see him as a dog like I see Marcus Smart. You know, he doesn't have that same mentality. So all the physical tools in the world are, are fantastic, but defense part of it is mentality and aggression. And that's why guys like P.J. Tucker succeed defensively so often because they're just in your grill. Uh, so I have that concern. The other concern, as you said, is the playmaking. Now, I do think on an NBA roster, um, even high-level NBA rosters, um, one to championship aspirations even, you can afford to have one non-shooter on the floor. You, you can do that because he, he, he's going to be your... Um, your facilitator, he's going to be your screener, he's probably going to be the guy that you're asking to operate along the baselines and move and do whatever he needs to do to add rim pressure, right? Um, But I just don't know, like, if you do that, do you really do that with Javante Murray, whose assist rate is quite low? I mean, he only ranked in the, let me pull it up real quick, His assisted usage rate was the 25th percentile. So 75% of point guards had better um, assists per the amount of time the ball was in their hand. So he's actually one of the worst um, assist makers Mm -hmm. in the league for his position um, and his usage rate, obviously. My concern isn't the assist. It's the lack of gravity, the lack of respect that teams have to give you on the perimeter. They're only really going to start caring about your presence on offense Once you get into the elbow region along that mid range, along that free throw line extended and then closer to the paint. And even then, if Jason Tatum's got the ball in his hand on the wing, they don't really care that you're there because Tatum's doing Tatum's thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm just like, I just don't see the fit. I think there's other point guards available that could probably not give you what Murray could defensively, probably doesn't have the same defensive ceiling, but could give you an immediate uplift rather than having Murray that is only a two level scorer. And in my opinion, would be um, a poor man's Marcus Smart. And, and I'm curious, Adam,
0: in, in what you've seen, have you seen what goes out? Because we got to remember, Dejounte Murray's not free. You know, he's not. He, you're not. You're not going to a flea market and there's just a free bin for you to go ahead and grab something off the scrap heap. Like it costs something to get Dejounte Murray. And you know, he's twenty four years old, as I mentioned. He's on a he's on a very affordable contract. So I don't think, you know, even if the Spurs are looking to to rebuild or reshape their roster, they're not just going to hand him. So I, I haven't necessarily seen what the rumored potential trade might be. What were some of the assets that were rumored to to have to go out or what or if that wasn't in what you saw, what do you think would would the Spurs ask for in a trade for a guy of this caliber?
1: So I've seen Marcus Smart's name thrown out there, like a mm-hmm. Marcus Smart plus some random like piece, you know, like a Carson. Or, yeah. I've seen Christian Thompson and Romeo Langford as a, as a as a double going out to bring okay. in um, Murray. I've seen Marcus Smart and um, Langford thrown around. It's going to be one of Smart or Thompson that has to be involved in that trade. For for the the salary. Yeah. For the, yeah, for the salary matching purposes. Because obviously you can't aggregate a TPE on top of a salary. Mm-hmm. So that makes that, uh, that avenue null and void. So the the one that makes the most sense to me is to say to Marcus Smart, right? You want a, you want a bigger contract than what we're willing to pay you. We're going to trade you to San Antonio. You're going to get a season under Greg Popovich, who's absolutely going to love you. And we're going to bring in Javante Murray that can at least Fill your shoes better than most other people in the league could, and then I, I feel completely fine about that trade. At that point, it sucks to lose Marcus Smart. It sucks to, um, you know, have to say goodbye to a guy that so many people value so highly as an integral part of the team's, um, DNA. Their makeup yeah. was a both on the floor and as a unit off the floor. But Murray gives you that that um that constability factor in receiving him back in a trade. I'd feel way worse if it was. Christian thompson and romeo langford because now you have to figure out how to make murray and smart work together and i just don't think that's a a possibility that i want to see
0: yeah it's pretty interesting because from a value standpoint give trading tristan and romeo for a guy like Dejounte murray i would take that in a vacuum but then when you add into the roster fit i'm with you i'm just out on pairing murray and smart so if smart if if you happen to feel like smart is for sure going to leave i'm with you that's an avenue to go but but talking about Marcus Smart, let me ask you this, Adam. What do you think is more likely to happen this offseason? Marcus Smart is either A, traded, or B,
1: is given a contract extension. Honestly, I think they're both at a 50-50. Wow. I think, um, I think both of them are just as likely as the as the other. I think that um, Marcus Smart took, you know, he, his confidence took a hit like when nobody else really came in with an offer for him last free agency. He's improved his offensive output. You know, he's been on all, all, an all-defensive team multiple times since what happened. So I feel like he's going to be going into free agency expecting a bump in pay, right? And if Boston extend the extension offer, that's because they're trying to get him on what they consider a fair value now and a little bit of a saving con free agency. Now, if Marcus Smart doesn't want to give up that extra little bit because, you know, the way he plays, and he's 27 at the moment. I mean, mm-hmm. This is probably his last real chance to make like big bank. Um, he might turn that down. At which point, then he want the trade becomes the biggest possibility. So I think a lot of it, um, they're both just as likely to happen as each other. Do, what, where where do you stand?
0: Interesting. I I feel like it's much more likely that this off season, not taking into account what happens once we get into the regular season, but we're looking at just the off season. That an extension for me, I'd say it's more like 70 30 extension versus him being traded. The way that a lot of the press conferences have shaped up in this offseason, when we've talked about this on past podcasts, you know, the Jays are the pillars and you gave your great Adam, the tool man Taylor, you know, uh, recommendations about how the housing and the structure of the house is set up. And Marcus Smart is that extension. He's part of it, but he's an extension. He's an add-on, you know, but I think having said that. Marcus Smart being on this team and extending him gives you more options in the long term of how you want to shape this team. So I think it's interesting, your point of him being 27, this might be his last time to really cash in and get a, you know, a nice four year contract at whatever he deems to be, you know, the appropriate value. I think for me, if I'm the Celtics, I would actually try and push in this offseason. To get him on two years, 16 to 18 million is probably where I feel about comfortable as my ceiling. I don't think he's quite a $20 million guy because I think of the Fred Van Vliet and the Malcolm Brogdons as being somewhere in that 20 to 22 million range. And I think Marcus is a step below them for my, for my personal taste. When you look at their overall game and what they bring to a team, but I don't think he's that far off. So I think 16 to 18 million is kind of where. I would like for Brad Stevens in this front office to try and get Marcus to sign up because once you get him on, let's say hypothetically, you know, that two year, 18 million per extension, you know, there's a limited time where I don't think he can be traded to start the season, but then you have the trade deadline. You have two more years of control of him or not necessarily control of him, but control of in the sense of him as an asset where he can be traded. And that gives him more value on the open market. So It does come down a lot to how Marcus and his camp view this next contract. But if I'm the Celtics, my absolute goal, I think is the best way to get value out of Marcus Smart on this team or as a trade asset is by giving more control to his contract. And so trying to get a two to three year extension in that 16 to 18 million range. Do you think I'm pegging him correctly as far as the, the, the the value of what an appropriate extension would be? Maybe not what he's looking for, but what an appropriate extension would be.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that 16 to 18 million is um, a fair value and appropriate value. But this is where, I, um, where I'm kind of like, that's what Boston would want to get him at because they know that that's a bit of a discount for what he's projected yeah. to get. And if he's like, yo, it's only 2 million a year, but over a three year deal, you know, that's 6 million dollars. Or it's over a four year, we're looking at eight. Maybe it could be like 2.5 and we can round it up to 10 over four. Like he might be like, Yeah, I, I want that extra extra bank. Like mm-hmm. somebody tried to tell me you can take $8 million or $10 million. I'm taking $10 million. Yeah. Like, we're not talking Trump change. So. And the other thing that I kind of. I'm kind of weary about is when Marcus Smart signed his last contract, the the main trainer thought behind it was he's going to be a tradable contract. He's a tradable asset. He could be used to package for another star. And we're still here like multiple years later saying the same thing about his next deal. Like, and if you're not willing to trade him, then just pay him his market value. If you know that he's not going to be a trade chip for you because he means too much, then don't try and undercut him. Don't lose him for nothing or run that risk, just paying him his market value. If you genuinely do want to use him as a trade bait or you want to put him in um, trade discussions, well, do that now instead. Do you know what I mean? And don't even re-sign him and get the bad, you, you know, it's a fresh reputation with a fresh front office. Do things a little bit differently to how Eng's things and make that trade now. If you extend him or you re-sign him, then realistically he's here for at least the next two years and you put him down as one of the core pieces of the roster moving forward. So uh, that, those are just my kind of um, rebuttals to, what, to that, um, that train of thought that you've got. But I do think that I agree with you in terms of appropriate value and reasons why the Celtics should offer that type of contract.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, one thing to for sure keep in mind with, with Marcus Smart, and this is where he, he's at a really interesting point in his career he's proven enough that if you're a team that has championship aspirations and he hits the open market you're okay to overpay if if you think he's that final guy you think he's that link you're happy to go to 22 million if you think he's going to support i don't know let's let's just say i'm just putting the warriors out there i'm not putting that as any topic you think hey we want him to support Stephen clay take on more of that defensive burden. we'll overpay him four million even if we think he's worth you know 18 we'll give him 22 you know but if you think back to the last time he had an opportunity to, to get his market rate, it was lower than, than what we actually thought it was going to be. And that's why he's here right now. Or part of the reason, not the whole reason, but part of the reason why he's on the deal that he is now is that I think he thought he'd probably get a little bit more when he hit free agency after his rookie contract. So, you know, while he's improved his game in a bunch of different ways that you've, you've outlined earlier, He's also older. He's also got more mileage. He's a guy that plays full tilt. You know, he goes in that kind of, you know, Allen Iverson mold. of his throws his body around. You know, he hits the, the floor with a ferocity that you think he may have shattered his hip half the time when he's playing. And so, you know, with that, teams have to be wary about they don't want to end up with a guy that first year into a four year, $88 million contract. All of a sudden, you know, he's got a couple injuries that pop up in the next three and a half years. You're sitting there with dead cap weight for 24 million. So I do think some teams will take that into consideration. But then again, with any free agency, and we got to remember this with Evan Fournier. On a different note, like just takes one team. One team has to decide that that they're cool with setting the market above what maybe the rest of the NBA is, and then maybe that's a done deal. So it's a really interesting situation. But but for me right now, I do think I would. I would lean towards it being more... I think it's more likely an extension happens than than him being traded this
1: offseason. But once we get to the regular season, I think anything can happen. I mean, I can think of four teams. um, Haven't looked at the cap sheets for these teams. These are just four teams that come to my head where I'm like, they would make... They would be very interested in making legitimate offers to smart and free agency. Uh, That's the Atlanta Hawks, the Dallas Mavericks, the Golden State Warriors, and the Utah Jazz. You know? I think those four teams all have very good reasons, um, to want to pay Marcus Smart next to their all-star guard or, um, in Dallas's. Yeah. So it'd be next to Luca, next to Trey, mm-hmm. next to, um, Spider, next to Steph. Um, all of them have very good reasons to want to do so. So I think that when you know that and when you know that Marcus Smart's values that, as you said, the final piece in a championship puzzle, sometimes it's better to try and get the extension done because it just makes more sense than get, getting into a bidding war, especially mm-hmm. when you hold a player's bird rights, because now you're going to get into a bidding war and you're going to overpay if you really want to keep them. Um At that point then, you, this is why I see everybody talking about potentially bringing in Javante Murray, Um just because you know that, cusp, that cap control for the next three years and Marcus Smart is now essentially San Antonio's problem in the offseason. You know what I mean? So I get that too. The other trade that I've seen floating around um people have DM'd me about it. I've seen it on um Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, blah 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 blah. <laughs> is um Facebook ugh, is Colin Sexton. And I am out on Colin Sexton too. Now okay. uh personally, I think um I understand why Cleveland would want to do this, especially with where they fell in the in the draft, um, you know, who who they're projected to be. I think who is it they're projected to get? Is it Jalen Green? Uh, Evan. Indra?
0: Well, it's it's. It, or Evan I think, Mobley. I, Evan Mobley is the the popular selection at two, but also I've seen a few whispers that maybe they'll trade down a pick, try and get an asset, and they'll be a, and they'll
1: go with with a guy like Jalen Green. But um, yeah. I think it's going to be Jalen Green or or so Evan, Evan Mobley, Mobley. Sounds like you draft Evan Mobley and then you put him next to Darius Garland. You've got an awesome backcourt. Like I, I think that you they know that Colin Sexton's obviously not the most liked guy in that locker room. Now, mm-hmm. for me, I, I think Colin Sexton is getting a real um, hard go of it right now. I, I don't think he's as bad as what people are saying. Um, maybe you know he's playing on one of the worst teams in the league, um, and he's a very ball dominant scoring guard. And no yeah. one was no one was saying anything bad about Sexton when he was having like his little heat moment during the season. And Sexton was like, yeah, you know, Sexton like, was popping. You know what I'm saying? It's only now that the season's finished that everybody's like, oh, he doesn't pass oh, he's very ball-dominant, I get it. But the reason I'm against him in Boston is because we've seen ball, what ball-dominant guards do in this rotation and how it doesn't work. We've just been through two iterations of that in Kyrie and then Kemba. Try something new. That hasn't worked yeah. twice. I get it. Sexton's younger. You can develop him more as an off-ball player, but he'll be coming in from a guy with like a ridiculously high usage rate and now being told adjust to be in a third option. And Hayward couldn't do it. Kemba couldn't do it. Kyrie didn't want to have to do it. I, I just don't know if that is going to um, go down well with Colin Sexton as an individual and his camp yeah. coming in from being a number one option to a number three. No, I, you nailed it, man. That's, that's the way I view this, is
0: we just went through this with the 30-year-old version of a bad knees of Colin Sexton, you know, when we just went through this with Kemba. So why are we running this back? And you have to mention, remember, he's extension eligible as well. So even though he's only making four to six, I think it's four million this year, well, four million for the end of this season, so six million for the upcoming season, then you got to figure out immediately, you know, is this the guy that you're going to extend? And what does that extension look like? You know, I, I don't like him as a fit for the Celtics. I think Colin Sexton is valuable for different teams in the league, but for these score first guards who are defensively challenged that are undersized, he's not necessarily undersized, he's six one. He's just not, you know, he's not going to have a massive presence on defense and really needs the ball. He's ball dominant. There are teams and fits for these guys. and I don't think the Celtics are one. I was having this exact conversation with a good friend of mine, about him as a fit on the Knicks, and Knicks have been a team that are rumored for Colin Sexton, and we saw in the playoffs how difficult it was for that team to find offense. So I think a guy like Colin Sexton actually fits very well for the Knicks. The issue that my friend and I were going back on is because he's extension eligible, where does Colin Sexton view, or where does his camp view that extension at? are they going to play hardball like John Collins and turn down four years for 90 million? And they're looking for some type of max deal. Cause those are very different things. You know, Colin Sexton as a ball dominant, you know, maybe a lead offensive option or second offensive option. That's doing something different than your, your one a or your lead guy does, you know, that can be very valuable, but is it 20 million valuable or 30 million valuable? Because that changes everything with who Colin Sexton is and where he fits into a roster. So, I think there's a fit for Colin Sexton. I definitely don't think it's in Boston, though, for a lot of the reasons that that you laid out in your.
1: your and I agree. I think the Knicks, um, a one A and one B puncher, Julius Randle and Colin Sexton, along with an RJ Barrow, an Obi Toppin, mm-hmm. a Mitchell Robinson, that's a good young team to start building around. Yeah, and they then, can complement uh, each other a little bit. Yeah, I think that actually fits quite well. So I agree there that the Knicks would be a good option for Sexton. I also um, agree that. You know, $90 million and a max deal are completely different and the exactly. expectations are different. Uh I mean, I've just looked up Colin Sexton's usage rate for this season. His usage rate this year was 29.6%. Only 7% of point guards had more of a usage rate than him. That 7% is going to be, if Harden was classed as a point guard this year, which he truly should be, Harden, Westbrook, those type of guards would have had higher usage rates, but mm-hmm. those are the elite of the elite. Sexton is not there yet. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't think he fits. Um, again, no. just the trade work. Uh, you know, you'd probably be giving up. You'd have to give up a young piece back. Like um, the one I was thinking of was like, uh, what you'd have to be like a Christian Thompson and a Romeo Langford or an Aaron Neesmith. Or a Neesmith. Be, I think Neesmith yeah. would be
0: someone maybe they would target. Because then they'd
1: have Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Evan Mobley Aaron mm-hmm. Neesmith, and that's their young core that they start building around. Jared Allen yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, Jared Allen. And I don't feel comfortable giving them Neesmith and watching him just ball out due to the amount of minutes he'd get in Cleveland. Like you can have Carson Edwards. Carson Edwards cooks you year after <laughs> I year. I don't, I don't. think they want Carson Edwards. Uh, to do you know team. what? I think they. I think they take Carson Edwards just so he doesn't cook him again this season. Because it's not be <laughs> right? a bit insulting, right? It's not a bit insulting. This dude barely scores a bucket on anyone in the NBA. You put him up against Cleveland, he turns into like prime Eddie House, starts going for forty. Oh so, Eddie
0: House, you just you just you just struck all the right veins with me, Adam. Eddie House was my absolute guy. I, I modeled my own pickup game on Eddie House. Three point oh, for line, real? To three, oh three point line to three point line. Let me run around some screens and shoot. It's my
1: game all day. uh um, my pickup games, pure and one inspired, dude. <laughs> you got the one. handles for it? Yeah, dude. I yeah, I used to. I used okay. to. Just, I, I can I, Like I can handle blindfolded easily. Um, I used to just dribble all day long, man. Um, I've lost a bit of speed now, though. But uh, <laughs> yeah, dribbling was never my forte.
0: I'm a straight shooter through and through. Shooter, shoot anytime. That's why I love shooters, man. Any, I've been dying for the Celtics to get just a pure shooter. Like I don't think probably since Eddie House, I can't think off the top of my head of a of a, a pure three point specialist that the Celtics have have really had. And I think that's especially with Eddie House being a smaller guy like myself. I do appreciate, you know, his style on the court there has been someone I've always I've always tried to emulate on a uh, on an extremely minor league level.
1: So um I was never a great three point shooter. It was just um it was never me. I was always um a facilitator. So like um I, I'm like what six three. So like um I used to just be the guy that appealed off screens, penetrate and then dish. Or if the lane's there, I'm 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 decent around the room, I just got strong around the room. Um, mid-range elbow shots on call weave. I can attack closeouts. But I had the same problem Javante Moore is going to have. <laughs> no one closed out on me for me to attack the closeout. And uh, so I, I understand I've been there, dude. Now, See, here's the thing, doing. man. That, that's why we got to play off each other. I'm, I'm going to take some of the gravity away and then I'll let you be able to, to create more in the open space because they won't be able to sag off me. Yeah, dude, I'm down, man, because I'm so, I'm too old to be crossing guys over now and then expecting <laughs> my knees to allow me to blow by people. You know, like I'll crush you up and you'll get back up and get back in front of me before I've managed to take two steps because I'm like, oh my my knees, my knees hurt. Yeah, so man. once we get uh once we get Greg back here we got you know they're making like three on
0: three into an Olympic sport I believe I I could be wrong on that but I know it was either it's either coming or I've seen you know different versions of three on three that are that are coming so maybe uh maybe the Celtics blog podcast boys needs to need to get together and uh and run a little three
1: on three so what we need is for all the listeners to start a petition to Biden to allow me an American citizenship so I can represent. Uh the United States of America at the Olympics in free on free. I am down why you would choose three random dudes off a podcast yeah. when you have like Tatum, Beale and Brown or whatever you want it to be, Lillard, Tatum and Beal. Oh, you can go you
0: there's a lot that you can oh, do better than three yeah. of us. Yeah, but if you do
1: want to see that just for comedy value, then uh get that position going, I'll happily sign and share. You know you know what though, if we were to get like a basketball
0: podcast three-on-three tournament i'll take And if we let's exclude podcasts like you know like all the smoke podcasts where you got steven jackson and matt barnes let's see if we can organize a three-on-three podcast basketball tournament where as long as you're the only requirement is that you have never played professional basketball i'll tell you what man without having seen any of your skills but just the fact that we got you six three out here I know what Greg can do. Greg knows what I can do. We've been best friends for 30 years. We already got that chemistry down. We got the chemistry with you on the podcast, Mike. Here, I think we'll blend in seamlessly. I like our chances. Celtics blog podcast, three-on-three podcast basketball tournament. I like our chances. We'll do it against all the other Celtics podcasts. Oh, that's – yeah, we're bringing home the gold. We're bringing home the trophy. Just give it to us now. I I need someone to fund my flights to uh, (laughs) to play this game. Uh, (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully, Corrales is listening. J King, you're out there. Yeah, nah, Corrales can't going. play.
1: Corrales was pro. Corrales <laughs> played pro. He, he's didn't ineligible. Really. I didn't know
0: that actually. Yeah, yeah, he played pro in Greece. He's in eligible. Okay, okay. All right. Sorry, Corrales, you're out. Maybe you know what? Maybe we'll make an exception. Maybe we'll make it an exception. Well, he, he seems like a, I've seen him shoot around on Twitter. Uh, he seems like a like a bigger dude. So that might be your
1: your assignment, Adam. Oh yeah, give me the pro, right? <laughs> I, he, he can ball, you do you deal with him. You know? <laughs> Thanks. I'm down though. Like if people want to make this happen and want to start a GoFundMe. I me love to it. I'm down. This,
0: this this would be a fun tournament, man. Celtics podcast three on three tournament. I love this idea, man. We gotta we gotta find a way to generate some steam and then maybe we can get you over here and, and turn this into a reality. I want Donkey
1: Donuts to sponsor it. Oh, they'd have to. Come on now. And then we could have a dunk contest and the winner of the dunk contest gets free donuts. Ooh, how many podcasters do you think, that, how many Celtics
0: podcasters do you think can actually throw down dunks? John Carrados <laughs>
1: Yeah, he's back. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I can't dunk. I, I don't have the hops to dunk. Oh, bro, I can barely touch the net, so. <laughs> oh, man. I'm down, though. I'm completely down. Anyway, we've gone off into the world of pure rubber. off the rails here, man. Oh, man. Welcome to the off season. I feel like J. Cole, I should just burst into song right now. Pride is the Devil is the best (laughs) tune on that album by far. Um, Anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening. As usual, if you can leave that five-star written review, I'd appreciate it. Uh, I apologize for the real estate discussion at the beginning. We are very serious. If you want this Celtics free-on-free tournament and we can find some sponsors to make the flights happen and blah, blah 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 I'm down to do this, man. Let's get um, it. Let's get it, baby. We need you,
0: the people. You, the people. We need your support to make this happen. So let's get it going.
1: And <laughs> make sure you follow myself on Will on social media at Will, Will bun 13 You got it. At Adam Taylor MBA. Uh Please tell your friends, family, co-workers, Uber drivers, train drivers, train conductors, restaurateurs, whatever it may be. This podcast is for them and they should be listening to it religiously. And we will be back again on Monday when hopefully something's happened that's good. So we have something to talk to about. Otherwise, it's going to be more of the same rambling. Everybody have a great weekend. Will, do you want to lead us out? Amen. Just want to reiterate what Adam said. You know, we appreciate all of
0: you that listen to us, all of y'all that have made it to this point, especially y'all. Y'all are the realest of the real. So I hope everybody has a great weekend. And